Good morning, good morning, Rabotai. Welcome to breakfast and the class. Uh, we do not have a sponsor yet today as uh, uh, that I am aware of. If anyone would like to sponsor today's breakfast and class, please let us know at info at EJSNY, or you can message myself or Jessica and we will arrange the, uh, the dedication for you. The Pasuk says, We're all familiar with the idea that in the aftermath of Yaakov Avinu's fight with the angel, the angel and Yaakov are wrestling, and as they wrestle, something seems to happen. And uh, in that process of the wrestling and, the, uh, uh, and moving back and forth, Yaakov Avinu's thigh gets injured. Vataga bekaf yerech Yaakov. And the Pasuk says, Alken lo yochelu. Therefore, since Yaakov was hit in the Gidanashe, the sciatic nerve, in this wrestling match with the angel, therefore the Jewish people don't eat the Gidanashe. And the question is, what is the connection? Because Yaakov Avinu was hit in the Gidanashe, Jewish people can't eat, you know, uh, Gidanashe ever. You know, if he, if he was hit in the, uh, in the side, then we wouldn't be able to have steaks. If he had punched him in the mouth, then, you know, tongue would be asur. What, what's the connection over here? Why, why is this something which finds uh, its expression in an eternal mitzvah because of something that happened in the story? What did the Jewish people do that uh, this should become a, a, a sin and, uh, and an avera for them? And there's a magnificent story that was presented to Rav Zilberstein. Rav Zilberstein has always given these very interesting halachic conundrums. And uh, they're fascinating to follow because they make you think. He tells a story about a chatan whose name was Yochanan. Okay, guy's getting married. He, he, uh, he's getting married in one of the wedding halls in Jerusalem. And uh, the yeshiva that he studied in was in the north of Israel. So it's quite far from, you know, north to south in Israel, especially with traffic, as there often is traffic in, uh, in the lead up to Yerushalayim and other places. So he realized that for the boys to get there would be very difficult. Anyway, he goes to his friend, Yochanan goes to Naftali, and he asks him, he says, do me a favor, Naftali, here's 1,200 shekel. I want to rent a bus for the boys from the yeshiva to be able to attend the wedding. Naftali says, no problem, you got it, don't worry about it, I'll arrange it, 100%. Takes the money, he gets the bus, the bus is waiting outside the yeshiva, up in the north, and it uh, has a place for 50 boys. Time comes, for whatever reason, 35 boys get on the bus. So there's about 15 extra seats on the bus that are not used. As the bus is, uh, is uh, pulling out of the yeshiva lot, towards the e- exit of the city where the yeshiva is, this boy, Naftali, who made the arrangement, sees that there's another kid, there's another group of boys, maybe 10 or 12 boys, from another yeshiva down the block from them, that are also trying to get to Yerushalayim. He tells the bus driver, pull the bus over. Bus driver pulls the bus over. Naftali gets that, walks down the, the stairs of the bus. He says, tell me, where are you guys going? They said, oh, well, we have a wedding in Yerushalayim. Um, he says, where is it? He, the guy tells him the name of the wedding hall. It's a wedding hall just down the block from where he is, where the, the wedding is, the, their wedding is. He says, listen, if you guys want, we have a bus going to Jerusalem. At the end of the wedding, you can even come back with us. At a, a simple price of 50 shekel a boy, uh, you'll be able to ride the bus with us. The boys say 50 shekel to drive, to have a bus ride from all the way up north down to Yerushalayim and back, 100% worth it, fantastic. They all get on the bus, each one gives 50 shekel to Naftali, Naftali puts 600 shekel in, 
שספקי, השתבח שמו, פותח את ידיך ומשביע לכוח חי רצון. This guy, at the end of the wedding, Yochanan hears about the shenanigans of his friend. He says to his friend, he says, listen mate, you know, I asked you to rent me the bus. It's my bus. I paid for the bus. Empty seats on the bus. You put people, you put, like they say, bums in seats. You know, they, they rode my bus. Why would you take the money that these kids paid for you? The bus isn't yours, nothing. It's not shayach at all to you. And he responded and he said, Naftali said, look, you asked me to get you a bus. For the boys from the yeshiva, I got you a bus. 35 boys came, 50 people, did. we didn't need seats for 50. We were driving to Yerushalayim, it would have cost you 1,200 shekel anyway. So I saw an opportunity that was my initiative, my creativity, my chutzpah, to pull the bus over, to drag these guys on the bus, to take them on this journey to Yerushalayim. It cost you nothing and I made money. It's zenehenei, this one is benefiting. And you didn't lose anything. Why? I know that now you see that there was money to be made. You want it, but it's not your money. You know, why should I give you the money? My first thought was, uh, Yochanan thinks he's not getting invited to my next wedding. Either way, the point is, but beyond any further thoughts about the friendship between Yochanan and Aftali, and as they say, you never mix business with pleasure. Always be careful before you do business with friends and uh, even more so family, they took the question to Rav Zilberstein. And Rav Zilberstein quoted a famous Gemara. And the Gemara says, in Baba Metziah on page 35, A person cannot do business with his friend's ox, with his friend's cow. My cow, my business. This is not, doesn't belong to you. You know, it's, you can't do business on, with, my, with my things and make money with my things, with my cow, with my, business, with my printing press, with my whatever, belongs to me. However, the rabbi said, although Naftali has to give the money back to Yochanan, there's still money, there's a, a fee that should be paid, a dmei tivuch, like they would say in Israel, shalchan money, headhunting money, where this guy brought you the deal, so you have to pay him some of the money that got you that money. So the rabbi said, a fair amount, I would think, is to give a hundred shekel to Naftali. Okay? This is the story as it stands. All right? The Dad Zekenim, the rabbi continued and he said something very interesting. He said, and although this is true, the rabbi continued to say, if, you're, if, the, if Naftali he says to this boy, if the bus was driving at night, and the boys were on the side of the road in the middle of the night, not something in the middle of the day when you're going to a wedding at three in the afternoon, but if the boys were stuck there in the middle of the night, he says, it's not right that you charge them money in the first place. Why? Since they were sitting there by themselves alone, you anyway, you paid this money regardless. Why are you making money off of this person when there's no reason, where it's not costing you a penny to give them a lift? Where we have a responsibility if someone is stuck to be able to help them out, especially if it's at no cost to us. Do you understand that? Rabotai, I was speaking the other day with a, 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 a wonderful entertainer, a person who's very famous. And, um, you know, I asked him to send the message to someone that I really thought it would make a difference to. It would inspire them and keep, get them happy. And I said, look, if you want, I'm sure the person's happy to pay or the parents would be happy to pay for you to send this message 
to cheer up their kid. The guy gets a message from a, a famous uh, Jewish person. You know, it makes you feel good, right? I said, I'm sure. He, the guy said, listen. He says, it doesn't cost me anything. I have the ability to be able to send a person a message and to make him smile. Make it, how much does that cost me? 10 seconds of my time? Well, I have to charge? I have to monetize everything? People are always looking for a way to monetize everything. Do you need to monetize, you know, your ability to give someone a smile that should cost something? What a beautiful outlook. I said to him, no, I didn't actually mean it for you, and I didn't. I meant for the tzedakah that they're involved in. His, uh, him and his wife are involved in the tzedakah. I said, do it for tzedakah. He said, even for tzedakah. And I said, maybe, perhaps, the logic there is, on the one hand, you have the tzedakah that you want to benefit. And this money that he would have given for this message could have gone to tzedakah. On the other hand, this is the point, why would you trade one tzedakah for the other tzedakah? Why should this tzedakah be given money at the expense of this act of tzedakah? It creates a mindset that everything I do needs to be transactional. It can't be for, for the, just because, because I want to do the right thing. And I so appreciated to hear somebody say that in, this, uh, in the most beautiful way. Now, the Da'ad Zekenim, where do we learn this idea from? The rabbi told him, he says that you should pick them up for free. He says, the Da'ad Zekenim, Ba'alet Tosafot, writes, the reason why the Jewish people, the reason why they, they don't eat from the Gida Nasheh, the reason why till this day we have to devein the back of the animal to get rid of the, uh, the uh, what's it called, the uh, sciatic nerve. And by the way, only Sepharadim do this. You should just know. Only Sepharadim do this deveining process called Nikur. Ashkenazim, they don't have the Misorah. They don't have the, the tradition handed down to be able to give it. They chop off the whole back of the animal and they sell it to non people to non-kosher. Or in their terms, to Sepharadim. Right? That's how... That's what they do with it. They don't, they, don't want, they don't want anything to do with it because they're so nervous about this thing over here, about, what's it called? About Gida uh, Nasheh, uh, that they don't have the whole back. By the way, apparently the best steaks are in the rump. That's what they say. So if you don't have the opportunity to use that part of the animal, look what they're giving away. Why should the Jewish people be punished this way? Says the Dad Zekenim, you know why? Because why did Yaakov get attacked? Why is Yaakov limping? Because he was left alone at night. Because the Bnei Israel, they crossed the river. No one came back with him to get his things. You can't leave someone alone without accompanying them. This is a mitzvah, Rabotai, a big mitzvah people are not aware of. You have someone comes to your house for Shabbat, you serve him the best food, give him the best wine, make him feel very comfortable, and then he says, okay, I need to go. You say, Alamak. And your, your abo, your gita nasheh, is glued to the chair. But there's a mitzvah. The mitzvah is called levaya. The most important mitzvah. So important. Some say levaya is even more important than the achila and the shtiyah. The eating and the drinking that you give him. To stand up, walk him to the door. Even rabotai, four amot outside of the door. So when the Bnei Israel let Yaakov go across the river by himself and didn't accompany him. So therefore the attack is therefore as teshuvah for that act. To this day, we're not eating gidanasheh. To this day, Ashkenazim cannot have a delicious steak.
<laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> Do you understand this? Rabotai, lesson number one is this concept of Livaya, of, uh, of what's it called, of accompanying somebody, making sure that that person feels, and this is, I think, the point, not just that you gave him to eat and you gave him to drink, but also that when he leaves, you feel bad that he left. You want to use every minute that you have of his company. So even as he's leaving, even four amot out of your house, you're still walking with him. Our rabbis tell us that uh, later on we're going to learn about the sugya of egla arufa, of the cow that gets uh, that has its unique way of killing it as a kapara, as a memorial to the fact that someone dies between two cities and we don't know who killed him. So the Torah tells us in that scenario, the zikkenim, the elders of the city come, they place their hands on the egla arufa and they say, our hands did not shed this blood. Ask the Gemara, what, did we think the zikkenim are on a serial killing spree? Like they need to absolve themselves to say that they didn't murder the Central Park jogger? Like that's what's going on over here? We need to say, guys, it was not the chief rabbi. The chief rabbi is not involved in this killing between these two cities. What's the point? Our rabbis tell us that what they're saying is, not that they didn't kill him, but we're saying sorry. We're almost taking responsibility for not having accompanied him towards his, gener- towards his destination. The rabbis say, why is it that accompanying him would have helped? You accompany him for Almot outside of your door. How's that going to help when he's in the valley between the two cities? They still would have attacked him on the highway. And the answer is a fascinating concept which exists today still in Middle Eastern countries. If someone comes as a guest to your house and then that person is attacked after he leaves your house, it's considered a personal act of war against your family. If that person is your guest and someone attacks your guest, it's considered a personal act of aggression. Therefore they came under the shadow of my roof. This is considered to be my guest. Okay, so we see the importance of Livaya over here. But Rabotai, I want to just um, round this off with one last element. You see over here, Rabotai, something else as well. We started off by quoting the Gemara in Baba Metziah, where the Gemara says, right? In Adam or say, a person does not do schorai, does not do business, right? Biparato shel chavero, with the cow of his friend. Okay, and I thought to myself, that idea which means that uh, Naftali can't make money on Yochanan's bus, right, is also something perhaps that we find somewhere else in our parasha as well. Where, you know, Yaakov and Esav are mortal enemies at this point. Yaakov is trying to, so to speak, placate uh, Esav and tell him, look, you know, it's okay, the uh, berachot, you know, everything, it's not really a big deal. Look, you see, I'm still subservient to you. Here, here's the gift I'm paying you, I'm sending you as homage to, you know, to you, to show you that I don't feel like I'm in charge of you, rather that I'm paying you this kind of tax. So Yaakov sends him all of this, uh, uh, you know, this, these, um, these animals in the beginning of the parasha. And there's a beautiful lesson uh, in, in, in this story, Rabotai. You know, um, Esav is so upset 
that Yaakov has something that's his. That's the point. And I think maybe that's the depth of what Esav is saying. You know, I have a lot. Yaakov says, Yeshli Kol. Esav says, Yeshli Rav. Why does Esav say, Yeshli Rav? The simple interpretation is that Esav is saying to Yaakov, I have a lot. I, oh, I still want more. Like, I'm not happy with what I have. I want more. That's what everybody talks about. But I think there's another point here. Esav is saying, Yeshli Rav, I have a lot. But I could have had more. Whatever you have could have been mine. So it's almost as if the war itself, the attack of Esav on Yaakov is in the spirit, or pardon the pun, in the vein of Yeshli Rav. I have a lot, but all of this, this was also mine. This should have been mine. Only reason why you got this is because, is because you took the Berachot from me, right? Now listen to this, Rabotai. Powerful. If Esav had understood this word, these words of the Gemara, and Adam oses chora beparato shel chavero, he'd understand that that's not only a halachic law, but it's also a hashkafic principle, a truism that people don't understand. When we look at what other people have and we're jealous of what they have and we wish that we had that thing, remember, in Adam oses chora beparato shel chavero. If it's his cow, you're not making money from it. If it's his business, you're not making money from it. If it's his opportunity, you're not making money from it. To look at someone else's, I had this idea, I can't believe he did it, I should have done it, I should have done it first, I can't believe it. If only I was doing what he was doing, I would have all that money now. Yes, Rav, but I could have that. No, you would never have had anything. If the para belongs to him, if the bus is his, there's no way that you could have made money from that thing. So Rabotai, a lot of times people have in their heart, they're upset about a company, about a business deal, about a real estate listing, about something that went to somebody else, and they thought if only I would have done that, I would have made the money. Rabotai, in Adam oses chora, not just halachically, but in truth, in reality, you're not making a dime on anything that was supposed to be his. If Esav would have understood that, if Esav would have caught that concept, then there never would have been war between brothers. Rabotai, there's often war between brothers. It's just not as clear cut as an Esav, a Rasha, versus a Tzadik. Hallelujah, right? Esav, Rasha, Yaakov, Tzadik. A lot of times, both of them look like Yaakov's. Well, both of them look like Esav's, trading, you know, stabbing each other, trying to, you know, position themselves for an inheritance or for, you know, favor in the eyes of the parent or to get a, a higher place in the business. Brothers, brothers can fight all the time in this way. But just remember, En Adam Hashem has a lot of cows. He doesn't need that cow to give you your parnasa. And if a person would, you know, drive this in their own head, then they'd understand it. And I think, perhaps, that's also the concept of the Gida Nasheh, 
where the Jewish people, so to speak, are careful of the Gid Hashem. Why? Because the concept of this Gid is an element, something that supports a person for being able to walk. Yaakov Avinu, once the nerve was hit, he was limping. He was limping on his, uh, on his uh, uh, what's it called? On, 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 his, uh, on his leg. Rabutai, in that moment, when they saw that he was going back and they needed to get the pachim kitanim, he needed to get the small dishes. What was going through the minds of the Bnei Israel? Hadjah, leave it. You want to go back for the pachim kitanim? Go back yourself. Right? For everything else, it was a two-man task rabbit job. They went with him. But it came now, pachim kitanim, he'll get it himself. He get it himself. He's your father. How could you not go support him? Go with him. That idea of being there for someone and not only going where something gives you a direct benefit is also part of the outlook of Paratosh al Chavero. Why? Because a person doesn't live a transactional life unless they think that everything that they do is what's going to bring them Parnassah. And everything that they don't do is what's going to cost them Parnassah. If you don't live with that mindset, you're much happier to give time away, to give focus away to other people. Because you know, in the end of the day, that's not going to cost you. What a fascinating idea that is. In Adam Ose Schorab Paratosh Chavero. May Hashem bless us always to have this good eye. And through having that good eye, this ayin tova, to live a beautiful, happy, and content life. Baruch Adonai Amen. Amen.